The second reading this morning is taken from Isaiah 6, which you can find in your few Bibles on page 719. Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll read God's word from the beginning of the chapter. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaf stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Amen. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. Thank you, uh, Doug, for reading that wonderful chapter for us this morning, Isaiah chapter uh, 6. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your inspired word given to us. We pray this morning that as we listen to your word, we submit ourselves to this word, that you would speak to us, Lord. Please. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, uh, in, in a recent article in the Australian, 
we read this, or we read this. It's about a man, or you see the picture there. His name is Kasi. He says a prayer in the alcove that once housed the bronze statue of the deity Shiva in the Tamil Nadu village of Sri Puranathan. The town here prays for its stolen god, this god, to return. And it is reported that every day at dawn, noon and dusk, Kasi and his family, they would light lamps in the dark of this place behind his house and prays for good fortune and the return of his God. The prayer is directed heavenwards to the Hindu God, but also southeast across the Indian Ocean and the width of a continent. Guess where? To Canberra's National Gallery of Australia, where apparently this 900-year-old bronze Shiva statue is now believed to sit in our Canberra wing here in Australia. And the article goes on to state that many villagers are depressed and feel the identity of their village has been lost. We want the statue to be brought back so we can worship here again and then the village will be able to live. It's an article from the Australian on the 8th of March this year. Now, friends, it is not my place to uh, bring down any faiths or say anything negative about others, respect their views, but contrast that for a moment with what we read in our text here this morning, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. And I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 6. It's a wonderful chapter. It's a chapter that gives us a picture. In fact, it is a vision given to Isaiah of who God is. Its primary vision is about the holiness of God. There's no questions about that. We see it, it cries out from the text. But there is more than that, friends, in this chapter or in these few verses that I want to share with you this morning about the character of God. Certainly, the attribute of God of holiness shines through. But there is more as well. And so we read in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Ezekiah, kings of Judah. Isaiah opens his book not with his call to ministry, but with a picture of Judah in his day. A grim picture full of rebellion and idolatry. And at the same time, there was still hope for God, for God was willing to forgive his people if they would return to him in Isaiah chapter 1. Let me give you a brief background, please, to the text as well and to the wider context here. Moses' final words to the people of Israel included a solemn warning that they not allow God's blessings to become ends in themselves and forget the one who had rescued them from Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Sadly, the Israelites ignored the warning and during the years of great prosperity, God's people forgot the source of all blessings. 
believing that they were responsible for their wealth. It's easily done, isn't it? We have accumulated all of these things. It is my doing. They served other gods whom they could manipulate and control. 1 Kings chapter 11, you can read it in Hosea as well, and in other parts of the Old Testament. And when they faced trouble, they looked to earthly empires for help, and not to the Lord of hosts. And they forgot the law of God, allowing the, the rich to oppress the poor. Amos chapter 8. But despite their failures, God did not forget his people, and God sent prophets to call them to repentance. He sent Amos, for example, and Hosea to the northern kingdom of Israel, but they were not heard, and Assyria carried, Israel, carried the Israelites into exile in 722 BC. The kings and the people of the southern kingdom of Judah were committed to remember the Lord, but even they fell into apostasy. And so around 739 BC, the king Uzziah died, and God sent one of the most prominent four prophets, writing prophets to Judah, and that is Isaiah the son of Amos, Isaiah chapter 1, and verse 1 and 6. And so therefore, Isaiah was a contemporary of Hosea and ministered from the death of Uzziah, right throughout the reign, right through to the reign of Ezekiah. Now, just this, if he had prophesied until Ezekiah's death in 686 BC, this would account to a ministry of more than 50 years as a prophet. A long time, isn't it? Doing God's work. And a very discouraging work, I might say, as we read in, in, in uh, the rest of this chapter. And Jesus speaks about that. Now, who would want to go and do a work like this? We'll come back to that in a moment. You see? So, King Uzziah had over a 50-year reign, and most of his life, he had been a very godly king. And the Bible tells us that Uzziah began his reign in godliness and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Second Chronicles. He sought after God and was blessed by the Lord. But later, friends, Uzziah became proud. And he went into the temple and he claimed for himself the rights that were only reserved for the priest. And the priests, they shouted at Uzziah and said, don't go, don't do it. They tried to stop him. But he became so angry with them that he started screaming at them. And at that point, leprosy broke on his forehead and he became a leper. You see, don't mess around with the living God. That's what we see here, isn't it? And yet, when Uzziah died, it was a time of national mourning. And in light of this, Isaiah goes into the temple to pray. And so we read in our text in Isaiah chapter 6, where God called Isaiah to ministry by a vision, where the prophet is taken into the very throne room of God. And so we read that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, 
high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Notice, friends, the contrast here. Israel's king has died. It was a sad and desperate moment in the life of the nation. And for Isaiah, it was just a day of sadness. And this was all to change. He was to encounter the most amazing person and experience in his life. An encounter that was so awe-inspiring that it would change him. An encounter so spectacular that it caused him to cry out, Woe unto me, I am ruined. An encounter that led him to commitment and service when he said, Here am I, Lord, here am I. And so, friends, the king was dead. But when Isaiah entered the temple, he saw another king. Let's keep that in mind. That's what we see. In the year the king Uzziah died, the king is dead. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He sees the Lord in this vision that's given to him. What a spectacular moment that must have been. Imagine yourself an ordinary day in the days of our life. There's a show called Days of Our Lives, isn't it? Is that still on? Don't know. Forget about it. The point is, another day, and Isaiah is captivated here. He's given the most awe-inspiring vision. He sees the Lord, and the Lord is alive. The divine king hasn't died. The king of all the world still remains. Isaiah the king has died, but the Lord has not. And the Lord is sitting He is sitting on his throne. He is high and lifted up. He is all powerful. That's what you see there. You see, when the queen queen, uh, sits on uh, the, the throne, for example, there is power, there is majesty, there is awe, isn't it? When she wears her crown, her majesty, it's a it's a special moment. There is power there. The Queen, in fact, visited one of our Presbyterian churches. In fact, it was the Warburton Church. Uh, Was it about 60 years ago? I was chatting with uh, one of the previous ministers there at Warburton, Graham Graham Bradby, and he sent me the photo. He showed it to me and I said, Graham, could you please send it to me? It's on my phone, actually. Um, The the, the Queen visited there, and, and it was a special event. But here we have the king of kings seated on his throne and he is high and lifted up, signifying all power. And Isaiah and the nation are in a state of sorrow. They are in a state of despair. But the Lord is alive and is reigning in all his power. He is not shaken or moved of his throne, no matter what kind of national calamity has come upon the nation. He knows all things. You see, we are saddened, aren't we, with so far there is no news of the Malaysian Airlines MH370. It's a missing plane. And I was saying to Rose, with all the technology that we have, 
with all the GPS systems, with all the satellite navigational systems, with all the sonar equipment that can go under the sea, yet no one knows. Very sad. And we were discussing this last week. We were praying for the families of these people. But there is one person who knows it. The Lord God Almighty. See, he's not going to be shaken. No earthly throne can be compared to him. His throne is high and it's lifted up. And it signifies, friends, power. It signifies authority. And in the ancient world, a king's robe signified his dignity and his honor. And here Isaiah sees the train of his robe fill the temple. So, the Lord is alive. He's all-powerful. He's high. He's lifted up. He's all-sufficient. And he lacks nothing. And there is more friends. We will come to that just in a moment. Because what we see next is quite spectacular as well. Above him stood the seraphim. Each with six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to the other and said... What did they say? You have it in front of you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. You see, they are seraphim. They, what are they? The word seraph represents heavenly beings. Notice how they are described and what they did. Yeah, they seemingly had human, human-like bodies, but each had six wings to fly and, and to cover their faces and to cover their feet. must have been awesome to look at. No one knows what these strange six-winged creatures with feet and eyes and intelligence are, but we have a clue here, don't we? They never appear again in the Bible, at least not under the name Seraphim anymore. See, this... There is this whole race of angels in heaven. And from, from what we can tell from the scriptures, because we mainly see them in the book of Revelation, that their main job, or perhaps their only job there, is to fly around and to worship the God who is on the throne. And notice that the seraphim, they could not bear to look directly at the Lord. Verse 2, they covered, he covered his face, covered his feet and flew. In their worship of God, the seraphim declares something about the character and the attribute of God. Here we come to the crux of this vision. Then the seraphim cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy. You see, why do they say Holy three times? Is it just for emphasis because this is how they did it in a superlative form in the Hebrew language? Because in the Hebrew there are no exclamation points. In Hebrew. Is this the reason why they cried out. Holy, holy, holy. No. Their cry or their singing of. Holy, holy, holy. Emphasizes to us. And to God's people. And to Isaiah in particular. The importance of the holiness. Of the Lord's character. And I'll come to that in a moment. You see. This holiness. Has incredible. Incredible implications. For humanity. This holiness is inherent in his being. It is part of his character. And when the word holy was used in the Old Testament, uh, uh, 
a lot of times it was applied to things that were set apart unto God, such as the temple and the priest set apart for special use for God. But when you apply this word holy to God, it speaks about the character of God. That is that God is set apart unto himself. He is other than. He is separate. He is different. He is totally unique. Is the creator and we are the creatures. And that is what we see here. That God is pure, holy, holy, holy. And this is what theologians would call the transcendence of God. That is that he stands apart from all others and from the whole of creation. One writer puts it this way. God is one of a kind. And he uses the Latin words soi generis, which means, it's a Latin phrase meaning of its own kind, of its own genus. It is a class by himself. In that sense, God, our God, the God of heaven and earth is holy. No wonder the seraphim pause to sing of his holiness. In one sense, the angels say, we want to pause, we want to sing about this attribute, we want to meditate upon it, because it is deep, it is rich, it is beautiful, it is marvelous, absolute purity. We don't want to rush by it, we want to sing, and so they call to one another, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, the word host can be translated as armies or numerous angels. And when even angels think about how high, lofty, unique, holy and special God is, they say we want to stop and focus and sing of this. Revelation chapter 4. Let me fast forward (laughs) straight to Revelation. Before the throne, there was... There was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like a creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And then, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, again, are full of eyes, all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say something. What is it? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. See, there is no doubt, friends, that this attribute, that is God's holiness, stands out in our text. And when I became a Christian, you know I came out from a, from a Buddhist background, you know all of that. I won't go through that. And when I was reading and studying and trying to understand the scriptures, this holiness of God is what really struck me. And it still does. You see, from my point of view, coming from another faith background, this was amazing things. The holiness of God. Something that I think at times, sadly, we take that for granted. I think sadly we, we forget about this God, isn't it? How holy he is. We kind of like talk to God. Yes, I know he's our father and I know everything. Please don't get me wrong. 
But he is not just the man or the person next door, is he? There is a separateness of our God. He is holy and mighty and powerful and his glory fills the earth. And Isaiah Sr., my friends, in a sense, almost new revelation, I would say, experientially for him. And that is that God is not just the God of Israel, but his glory fills the entire earth. That is now, put it in today's terms, that is the gospel is going to all nations. Not just to Israel. The glory of God fills the earth. I was at a dinner function last week at a Gideon's uh, thing. Some of our members of the Surrey Hills were there. Those who were, who were there with me, we were so encouraged to see how God is bringing people to faith in Christ. 86 billion, uh, million Bibles distributed this year. And testimony after testimony of the glory of the Lord shining in many nations. And notice as we go through that the foundations and the treasures shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. When the angels sang, the inanimate objects started to shake. And the house was filled with smoke, signifying the presence of the almighty holy God. And I said, what did, what did uh, Isaiah say? Verse 5. <laughs> what did he say? Say, wow, this is fantastic. What a great guy I am. How good is God? He's given me this vision. I must be so good. Oh, no. Verse 5, I said, woe is me. For I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of, an un- of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. The Lord of hosts. Isaiah is exposed to the incomparable holiness of the Lord. And he trembles with fear. The word woe means judgment. And Isaiah is pronouncing a woe. That is, he's pronouncing a judgment upon himself. I am ruined. I am undone. He's almost, he's saying this. I am disintegrated before you. I am God. Now, Isaiah was probably the most holiest person on the face of the earth at that time. The man of God. But he cries out, Woe is me. I deserve to be destroyed. He's broken. He's undone. He didn't say, I am good. I am undone. I'm coming apart. I am ruined. I mean, Isaiah was able to compare himself with the others. He perhaps had a good opinion of himself. But when he looked at himself with God, he said, Woe. How about you this morning? What's your view of yourself? <laughs> I'm not asking you to have a bad view of yourself. Don't get me wrong. Because God has given us life. He's made us in, our, in his image. And if you're a Christian, you're a child of the true and living God. But I just want to ask yourself, and including myself. <laughs> how do we compare to the holy God? Do we cry out and say, Whoa, am I? I am undone. I am a sinner. I need, I need to repent of my sins. I need to cry out to this God. Or do I come out and say, Lord, you should be so thankful that I am part of your kingdom. <laughs> Would you say that? I don't think any one of us would do that. No. 
And his links is ruined to his lips. Why lips? I, I, I try to analyze this. Why the lips, friends? He could have said, I'm a man of unclean thoughts. I'm a man of unclean whatever. Instead, he focuses on his lips, his mouth, because the tongue is a deadly poison. James 3. It is a restless evil. With our tongues, we can lash out. With our tongues, we can cut people down. With our tongues, we can be so blunt that we don't think about the other person's feelings. We can destroy relationships. He says, my lips. I live among unclean people as well. Chapter, chapter, three, uh, chapter 1, have, uh, have a look at that. Matthew Henry said this, There is no such thing as a small sin, because there is no such thing as a small God to sin against. <laughs> there is no such thing as a small sin, because there is no such thing as a small God to sin against. And A.W. Tozer said this, When you get close to God, our whitest white is at best grey. My eyes have seen the glory, the King, the Lord of hosts. And he goes on. And then one of the seraphs, we keep moving on. One of the seraphs flew to him. You can read there in the text. It's amazing how quickly the Lord responds. He did not ask Isaiah to make a list of all of his sins. No, instead the Lord gets the seraphim into action. And we see what takes place here. The altar here, the representation that is there. He gets the tongs from the altar. and And he touched my mouth and said... Look at this. Behold, this has touched your lips and then something happens. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. You see, in this act, Isaiah was refined by the holy fire. His guilt and sin was atoned for. He experienced forgiveness. He experienced grace. He experienced the mercy of God. He experienced the love of God. Here is the beginning of true joy and happiness to be touched by the Holy Lord. Speaking of happiness, did you know this? The 20th of March, anyone read of this thing? Did you know that 20th of March this past week was International Day of Happiness? Last Sunday, we played that song about happy, isn't it? International Day of Happiness. I mean, the, the, the idea is that everybody will be very happy on the one day. I don't know what happens in the next days, but anyway. Well, good on it, good on it. People want to be happy, well, that's fine. We, we, are, we are all for happiness. <laughs> but I tell you this, the world cannot give you lasting happiness. If you really want to experience happiness, then you must be touched by this holy God in your life. Then you'll know what real happiness is. And Isaiah says this, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. As I heard the voice of the Lord with a piercing question, he responded, Here I am. Send me. Here is a sinner saved by grace, responding to that grace. And he says, Use me. And what a challenging work this is going to be. If you read Isaiah chapter 6, and you come to John chapter 12, You know, Isaiah had the most incredible work to do with a people whose hearts were hardened and didn't want to hear the word. I mean, imagine you've been called to do a job like that. Would you take it? You you, you apply for a job and somebody says, well, I'm going to give you this job. But I tell you, you're going to go and talk to a people who are not going to listen to you. You're going to face hardship. Would you take it? (laughs) 
if you feel it's the Lord's will. Yeah, that's right. Okay? But it's not easy, isn't it? Isaiah is going to be given a task that's going to drive this guy crazy. And in the end, he's going to be sawn in two. But he takes it on. Now, we read in John chapter 12, uh, uh, first reading this morning. Let me draw attention to one verse in that passage, John 12. Isaiah said these things. This is John 12, 41. Because he saw his glory and spoke of him. There's very strong evidence here by most commentators to say that this view that Isaiah saw, Isaiah saw Jesus in all his glory in that vision. So friends, as we conclude this morning, see, Isaiah's vision of God gives us many aspects of who God is. God is alive, he is not dead. God is all-powerful. God's throne is high and lifted up. He is all-sufficient. He is the God of grace. And certainly, he is holy. He stands apart. This God cannot be shaken. He cannot be stolen. If the prophet Isaiah had no right to stand before the Holy Lord, how could you and I? He knew that he was not fit to stand before this God. But friends, we have hope just as Isaiah did. He received atonement and cleansing. Let me come back to the altar and what took place there in Isaiah chapter 6. This altar, I believe, was pointing to another altar that was to come. And at this altar, namely, at the cross, the Son of God, Jesus, the perfect and sinless Savior, will lay his life so that your guilt and mine, my sin, will be atoned for once and for all. And you and I will be made holy because of Christ. Do you see that? What a blessing that is. See, another thing from this text, friends. With life, as you go through, there will be things that will shake you. You know that. I know that. In ministry, I have seen by God's grace, now I thank God, I've served 26 years now in ministry. I don't claim anything right about that. I have seen at times when things come, and they shake me at times. A text like this tells me, Lord, I put my faith in the unshakable God who is never shaken. I'll encourage you with that as well. When things hit you and the arrows come at you, you come back to this God on your knees and say, God, you are high and lifted up. Nothing shakes you. And I put my confidence in you. What a blessing, eh? Tim Keller, oh, we're going to meet, oh, I don't know if we'll meet Tim Keller, but some of us are going for the conference. <laughs> this is what he says about the gospel. The essence, and about religions, the essence of other religions is advice. Christianity is essentially news. Other religions say this is what you have to do in order to connect to God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. But the gospel says this is what has been done in history. This is how Jesus lived and died to earn the way to God for you. Christianity is completely different. It's joyful news. What about you, friends, this morning? When we repent of our sins and trust Him alone, our guilt is taken away, our sin is atoned for in Christ. And in response to this, we say, 
Lord, here is my life. Use it. And then we can stand before this God one day, knowing that he loves us with an everlasting love. Nothing can shake us. I pray this morning that you and I will be touched by the holiness of God in his son Jesus Christ and be strengthened in him to serve our awesome God and that you will respond and say, Lord, here is my life, my gifts, my talents, my everything I dedicate to you and to you alone. And our God will supply all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus.